listeners. I'm Christine Kim, your host for today's show. In studio, we have Ashley. Ashley. I'm joining in today. We are broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia, Vancouver campus on unceded Musqueam territory. Thank you for listening in on our show today. We've got a great number of guests. um, And so without further ado, let me introduce you to our first guest on our show today, Burgundy Bricks. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Burgundy is a dancer in the cabaret-style series known as Dances for a Small Stage, which will be running from October 20th to the 23rd. Um, So tell me about Dances for a Small Stage. What are are some of the performances that are lined up this year? Um, Well, this year, there's every year it's a little bit different, which is wonderful. That's one of the great things about Dances for a Small Stage. Um, Julianne Saroyan is the curator and the producer. She um, is able to really contact a lot of different um, dance artists from different disciplines, bring them together, and um, have us all sort of be inspired by each other as we create uh, pieces for a small stage, hence the term dances for a small stage. Um, Sometimes we're down to like an eight by eight stage. Um, This time we have a little bit larger stage. We're at the Anza Club, um, which is still small, but... um, we are doing uh, a lot of very, very different types of pieces to different types of music, including um, electronic music, string instruments, and um, some spoken word. That sounds very interesting. I originally thought that it was all dance, um, but it's good to hear that you guys have different elements playing into the entire three days. Absolutely. Um, And I heard that you worked with Judith Gray. Can you tell me about... um, who he is, and then like, what would it, what was it like working with him? Sure, it's actually a woman. Judith is that's okay. <laughs> Judith Gary is um is an amazing uh, modern dancer. Well, I say modern dance. I'm from a different era. Now we call it contemporary dance. But um, she was part of Martha Graham's dance company for uh, about ten years, and since my early training in modern dance and contemporary dance was Graham style, uh, I've. I found it really exciting to be able to work with somebody from the actual Graham company who had actual firsthand experience working with Martha Graham, who was a huge idol of mine. Mm-hmm. So um, it, w- it was great because Judith has not performed in, oh, it's, I think she said 14 years. She's, um, she's semi, or maybe it was more longer than that. She hasn't re- performed in since she was about my age, and I'm, I consider myself one of the oldest dancers in the series. So uh, Judith has been uh, a professor of dance for some time and has not actually performed. She's choreographed, um, but she and I tended to have a lot of the same, um, same techniques and same ideas, which was a lot of fun, and we just like to play. So we're actually doing a piece that's kind of almost Halloween-y in a way. Really? Yeah, That's we thought... perfect for the month. I know. Well, we uh, had the opportunity to play with Blacklight, and we'd never really experienced, you know, playing with dance in Blacklight before. So um, obviously Blacklight kind of tends to things that are a little bit spooky, mm-hmm. but... Um, myself, based as both a contemporary dance artist and a burlesque artist, I I always say that burlesque is really a lot like magic in, in the sense that we're always concealing and revealing things, just like a magician does. Mm-hmm. So with the black light, it gave us another opportunity to conceal and reveal different parts of our bodies, body parts, um, 
from the audience and, and reveal things to the audience in, in different and more mysterious ways. So it, it is really a great um, hybrid of modern dance and burlesque in a weird way. It's also quite, uh, quite visual if you really think about it, very visceral. And yes. the fact that you are using that kind of idea of light and shadow but to a further degree exactly it's and it's so much fun for us just to be uh-huh. you know disembodied um body parts uh-huh, that's what I'm thinking. absolutely and, and, it, and it, it gives the audience a chance to appreciate different body parts rather than like the whole of the dance we're usually looking at the whole of the dancer and not just you know just an arm or just a hand or just a foot even so we're, we're really playing with making the audience um pay attention to specific parts of our bodies and it's so much fun and it and it is a little scary apparently as some some kids were a little bit scared of us because we do wear big black cloaks and so we can you know completely disappear at times and then you know reveal so um so I guess it's a little a little bit spooky we didn't expect Mm -hmm. it it would be because we're actually having fun we think it's very funny Mm -hmm. um but but children might find it a tad spooky (laughs) And I so it seems like, you know, the performance was very influenced by the modern dance that Judith has the background of and then your burlesque background as well. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about what else inspired um, the piece that you guys will be performing? Kind of um, where did you guys find your inspiration? I know you said you were just having fun, you know, um, trying out different things with the lighting and with the stage. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, we well, we we really intended to play. We really wanted to play together because we'd never met before. Um, we'd never worked together before. So um, it was a, it's always a process with small stages because you're put together with another artist that you've never met before at all. You don't have any idea what their process is. And you're, you know, you're supposed to create something in a fairly limited amount of time. So um, sometimes it can be very difficult just to try to find the other the other um, artists' style and yeah, their and their mean. flow. Kind yeah, of exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but Judith and I, for some reason, we just kind of fell very quickly into this into this playful relationship. So we decided to to play, um, and and we actually our, our um, soundscape was completely secondary. We didn't. We actually choreographed everything and staged everything before we had any music. <laughs> so that's it's kind of different, kind of opposite from how I usually work, but. Um, but that was interesting. When we did have our, our elements of music put in, layered on, it, it added to the piece definitely. Um, but the technical aspects were our first, the first thing that we started with rather than dance or rather than an idea. It was the idea that we could work with blacklight because we were going to be in a, in a space that would enable us to completely black everything out. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's different working with like a technical aspect in dance before the the movement so that's it was very very different right I've never actually heard of a dance being done completely in black light so it it sounds like a very unique experience and especially dancing in that um, in those circumstances would be probably very unique but I guess now that you guys have um, kind of have your piece all set and are kind of ready to go to perform it looking back what would you say you're most proud of with the piece um, and your experience being involved with it? Um, what do you find that you boast the most about with this piece of yours? <laughs> I mean, it's it's got to be a significant part in your dance career. Well, I think, well, for, for me, getting to work with Judith is, is huge just because I, I just find, um, I find, I find a lot of inspiration from the, the um, people who have, um, who have come before me in the world of dance and the people who have like really paved the way for us to do what we're doing today. And, and Judith is definitely one of those people. Um, so just the fact that I got to, I get to hang out with her is amazing. <laughs> but, um, but I, I also, I feel that, you know, that I can kind of keep up with, you know, she's still dancing she's still teaching mm-hmm. on a really regular basis. And I don't probably, I, I kind of feel like I am in, in a different world as a producer as well because I'm producing other things on a regular basis and I don't dance, dance, dance every day the way that she does. So I, f- I was kind of happy that I could keep up with her. <laughs> and that sounds funny because, you know, she's she's a little bit older than I am, but um, but the fact that I could hopefully keep up with her pace <laughs> made me very, very happy. And the fact that we both had really similar ideas made me happy that um, it makes you trust that you your ideas 
are going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. There, there's reception there. Absolutely. I just wanted to kind of uh, inquire about the soundscape. I know that was like secondary to creating the piece, but how would you describe this type of, I guess, um, music that you guys will be dancing to? It's really, um, it was it was created by Patrick Pennefather, and I've worked with Patrick before. He's, he's an amazing um, digital um, soundscape artist and um, an instructor as well. Um, and and he's a hilarious human being. So I knew that he was going to put something together that was really fun. He actually wanted us to. He wanted it to be a lot spookier <laughs> than, than we did. Um, but it's got these great like there's echoes and reverberations and sort of um, these tonal things that layer on top of each other, um, hums and uh, and it really it creates this. It creates an otherworldly environment. And I definitely think that the, the audience is kind of stunned f- from the entire experience because it's it's you're you're taking away some of their senses like they're they they come into the room and the lights are blacked out and then they can't see anything for a while. Your eyes don't adjust to even the smallest amounts of light mm-hmm. until, you know, until quite some time into the piece. So, we're sort of blinding them and then uh-huh. um, and then the soundscape comes in and it's not it's not a normal piece of music, so it's it's a little bit. That's probably what scares the children a little bit the most. It sounds a little bit like perhaps a haunted house might oh, okay, sound. I like, is it kind yeah. of like a, a really kind of um, concentrated sound, or is it kind of like, I guess, like it, wispy, like mist? It's a, it's kind of sparse. There's, I mean, there, it's very rich in terms of, of there's a lot of levels, but it's um, the lo- it's it's kept to a very low level during the piece. It does like crescendo a, a couple times but never very very loudly mm-hmm. um and there's and the sounds are not um they're more ambient than um than than melodic so oh, so there's not as much to follow after rehearsing it many times of course we can find the <laughs> patterns but um but yeah it's it's very it, it's a little bit um not discordant but it's but it's certainly not melodic that's why i call it a soundscape rather than a piece of music yes right right and I guess that's so interesting because I feel as though I was very surprised that there's a lot of families coming to dances for a small stage performance. I thought it was targeted more to kind of um, people 19 and up, but is is kind of the target audience for most of the pieces this year family-oriented? Um, more or less. It really depends on our venue, too, because when we are performing at places like the Emerald, mm-hmm. which is really more of a nightclub um, that's got that that much, that much feel to it, we get very few children at the, at the Emerald because it is... It is more of a it is more of an adult venue, but when we are at a place like um, the Shadbolt Center, which we're in residence all year at the Shadbolt Center, and that is a family arts center, so um, I wouldn't say that we're like uh, gearing our pieces towards children, but we are encouraging people. We are like making sure that um, that we are uh, we are aware of what's involved in our pieces, so that we can let the audience know before they come into each piece. Now this piece might be a little scary for your child or um, or or it's fine. You know, and the, the parents can make that decision for <laughs> for their own children. That way uh, that way we just feel like we're reaching out to a lot more a lot more age groups and a lot more people because dance is for everyone and mm-hmm. and certainly the dance that we experience as children is usually one style and dances for a small stage is such a wide range and i think it's great for children to be able to ex- be exposed to different types of dance not just what we see on television and on MTV or so much music yeah you know there are different ways to express ourselves with movement did that influence pretty heavily how much the modern dance and burlesque mixture came together? Was it a lot less burlesque because you wanted this piece to be very family friendly? Um, not necessarily because burlesque does not, does not necessarily, the word burlesque actually means to exaggerate. So it doesn't necessarily mean to be naked. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that there is a lot of burlesque that does, you know, that does include that. And um, and in contemporary, the um, burlesque renaissance or the neo-burlesque movement usually includes an element of that, but not in every piece. A lot of times burlesque just is including um, parody and satire and, like I said, concealing and revealing or using using the aspects of burlesque to tell a story. So and I think that we use that with 
this piece without really even knowing it. We, we have, were playing with light, we're playing with shadow, we're playing with concealing and revealing, but we weren't specifically going out to be overtly sexual for any, any mm-hmm. reason. And we are, we are sort of parodying certain aspects of, we have a, a couple little things that are to ourselves, a parody of some modern dance, um, legendary moments in modern dance but not not that anyone would probably know besides us Uh but to us it's we have some parody moments Mm -hmm. in there and satire for ourselves um whether that translates or not there are some satire satirical moments that i think do translate but but yeah burlesque is not necessarily um about being naked but it is about revealing things and concealing things and we can reveal and conceal a lot of aspects of ourselves not necessarily bits and pieces so Basically, what I'm what I'm trying to fig- what I'm getting is because, as you mentioned, it's an exaggeration, and you are using the uh, light and shadow. You could even say it's a commentary on how we reveal. And your background in burlesque again, not about being naked, but just about the emphasis on the body. Absolutely, you know, drawing the audience's attention to a certain body part is is really what we do in burlesque. And and there are a lot of times where we're drawing focus to certain body parts because you know they're fun to look at. Um, mm-hmm. But I love I love arms. We have so much that we do with our arms in this piece, and it's one of my it's one of my favorite body parts. I love revealing my arms and my hands and doing really beautiful things with them. And so mm-hmm. does Judith. So and and her legs too. Her legs are absolutely beautiful. I told her I want to post of her legs to inspire me (laughs) (laughs) so great but um yeah just that you're seeing just a leg come out and And just an arm our listeners who can't see it she's making the most beautiful arm movements (laughs) just so you know go watch her show then you'll you'll see what she She is and Mm -hmm. on that note um do you mind giving our listeners the details for the event so sure We are at the Anza Club. This is Dances for a Small Stage. We're at the Anza Club, which is at 8th and um, Quebec. Um, it's in Mount Pleasant. It's a, it's a fun little venue. And we are there from the 20, I think we actually open on the 21st, 21st through the 24th of this, this coming week. You can get tickets online um, if you go to Dances for a Small Stage. And there are different um, there are different price points. You can just come to see the show. You could come to see the show and have dessert or you can have a meal and the show. So there's lots of fun ways to experience Dances for a Small Stage. Great. Well, thank you so much um, for being on our show today and for telling us all those lovely details. Thank um, you. <laughs> so listeners, we will be back after a few short commercial breaks and we have another guest. So please do continue to tune in. <laughs> When Shanna Larson was a little girl, she already had artistic talent, and it was clear that she would be quite an athlete. But Shan always knew what she wanted to do with her life. She wanted to teach. Shan was only 24 years old when she lost her life to breast cancer, and now it's her spirit that will teach us. Teach us to know the facts. For more information, visit teamshan.ca. Breast cancer, not just a disease of older women. of listening to the same music day in and day out and want to try something a little different? Well then, how about listening to Asian music? Now, I don't mean it like nor like she bangs, she bangs oh baby, but she moves she moves I'm talking about a little more like And a little more like And also a little more like And definitely something like So tune in to Asian Wave 101, playing you the best of Chinese and Korean pop, Wednesdays from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., only on CITR 101.9 FM. Do you do really well in a first or second year course? Want to make a difference in the UBC community and 
and school communities around the world. Join Students Offering Support, or SOS, and become a tutor today. Math, accounting, economics, psychology, engineering courses, French and Spanish, statistics, and more. If you aced it, Students Offering Support wants you to help other students ace it too. Check out ubcstudentsofferingsupport.com for more information. Welcome back, Arts Reporter listeners. So our next guest is Albert and... Morris. Morris. They are going to be doing a stand-up comedy show about Stephen Harper, I believe. Tell us more about this stand-up comedy show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We're going to be running a uh, Stop Harper stand-up comedy show tomorrow, Thursday, at uh, 9 o'clock at the Rickshaw, which is on Hastings, in the sketchiest part. Uh, and we have we have some really heavy hitting local comics. Uh, I'm actually really surprised that I was able to get uh, get who I got. I've got Patrick Malia uh, hosting. I've got Peter Columbus as the headliner. Uh, I've got a couple other excellent comics, including uh, Brendan Burke, who, uh, in addition to being a comic, is a prominent local battle rapper, and I believe will be battle rapping under the voice of Stephen Harper. Uh, also, Kathleen McGee, who's super super funny. Wow, that yeah. really sounds like an incredible lineup. Um, so what made you want to gather all these people together on a Thursday night to do this? Um, was this something that was in the works um, ever since the writ dropped? or? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a comedian, so I produce shows regularly. Um, I actually, I only started putting this together about a week ago. It's been really, really fast. I've been going at a breakneck pace on this. Um, but just, just because I wanted to support the election in some way, uh, that was stronger than just, just voting in it. And, uh, you know, I just used the tools I had and this is what I had. So, uh, everybody came together and it was great. I got a lot of connections, uh, like people like fed me connections. This is my first time working with the rickshaw. They've been extremely helpful. Um, this is actually the biggest room I've ever tried to fill. So yeah, I'm really excited. Everybody's really come out of the woodwork to support this. I think it's going to be a great show. That's fantastic. And I know with all comedy shows, the goal is to make people laugh Mm -hmm. and have an amazing time. Um, but seeing as the elections are coming up on the 19th, is there a particular political message that you're trying to get across, um, through this show? Is it going to be kind of like a, um, Let's bash Harper so people vote NDP or liberal. Um, I mean, the show has an opinion for sure. Uh, it, uh, for instance, I'll be on the show as well, and a lot of my spirit, uh, my material speaks to the terrible things that Harper has done to this country over the last decade or so. Uh, and I believe that uh, several of my fellow comics have uh, have the same opinion. So um, we don't, uh, we're not endorsing anyone in particular. But we we are pointing out uh, some things that should make you think about who you're voting for. Fantastic. I think getting people involved in the elections, as many people as possible, is always a positive thing. Um, So, Albert, tell me about your experience. are you? How are you feeling? Are you ready for tomorrow, or um, are you nervous? I'm actually not on the show tomorrow. I do some of Morris's other shows that he produces. I'm uh, I'm doing his uh, Benny Bagel show on the 22nd, so that's a show you can catch me on. I don't do too much political humor. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually uh, in a production role. Uh, uh, Albert's been been fantastically helpful uh, on the back end of this, but unfortunately, he won't uh, see stage time on this because. Uh, oh. He doesn't think I have a pretty face. It's true. It's true. It's super important. Good thing you're on radio. Exactly. That's why, <laughs> that's why I'm kidding. on radio. Perfect. He has an amazing face, everybody. Um. <laughs> Stop it. Wow. That's a very, that's, can, that's uh, a strong opinion. Can I get your number? Wow. All right. <laughs> that's, I didn't know uh, it was going to go this way. No, no. I want to investigate this. <laughs> no, so, you've lost control of this interview. No, now. no, no. So, <laughs> that's what happens when you let comics on. That was your own fault. <laughs> that really was. I'll be more careful next time. This is, I believe, the first comic we've had on the show since probably August. Anyways, um, so in comparison to all of your other comedic comedic shows, was it any harder to find participants for this show because it had a political, like a political agenda? Not an agenda, but a political theme. Uh, No, not at all. Um, Or was it easier? Yeah, no. uh, In one respect, it was easier because of the theme and a lot of people wanted to get involved. But 
in another respect, because I was putting it together on such short notice, a lot of people were already booked for things. So uh, that was a bit that was a bit of a trial. Um, but we've got we've got some 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 really some really well known uh, politically active comics on it. So that's that's great. I'm missing you know like maybe one guy that I would have liked, but he's out of town kind of thing. Um, but no, this is this has worked out quite well. Who's the guy you're missing? Just for my own knowledge, Stephen King. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, that that would have been great. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, I that would have been great. I didn't even. You guys should look him up. Yeah, um, I mean, there's out of town, and then there's has been living in London for a year, so that's he not really. He was around reasonable. though for a while, to be fair. He yeah, he stopped by. I don't he, think the audience knows who that is, or isn't that an Sorry. author? Uh, not, 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 not the Simon King. He, Simon. he said Simon, Simon King. King. I, I knew yeah. I screwed up the name too. Yeah, it's okay. I know who you meant. I think the viewing, or the listening public didn't though. I'll stop talking. It's Alrighty. okay. We love you. <laughs> well, why don't you guys remind us again about the events um, details for tomorrow? Um, and just to confirm, is this a ticketed event or is it open to the public? Uh, anyone can show up, but we might uh, ask that you dig 10 bucks out of your pocket. Uh, yeah, it is at the rickshaw, which is on Hastings. You guys have Google. You can find where it is. Uh, the doors open at 9 o'clock. Uh, a show should be just earlier, just a little bit earlier than 9.30. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for telling us about um, the show. We are going to go on a short commercial break again, but we hope to have another amazing guest on. CITR and Stomp Records proudly present The Real Mackenzies live at the Rickshaw, Friday, November 13th. With extra special guests, The Brains, The Isotopes, Lost Kung Fu Monkeys, and Rude City Riot. Come celebrate Stomp Records' 20th anniversary in style with good music, good friends, and great times. Hit up stomprecords.com for more info, music, and swag. When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help, and all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag. All types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discord or magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. More about fashion. We asked CITR student executive and fashion expert Jonathan Q what fashion means to him. Like it's just aesthetically something that's so ostentatious. Typically, typically. I mean, because of course, I mean, it's also you know, I mean. Uh, when, when you say fashion, I think people are talking explicitly about uh, consumerism as opposed to someone who buys, like, uh, like you know, let's say, you know, someone buys a If you really want to know more about fashion, come on down to CITR in the Student Union Building of UBC and pick up some of our merchandise à la mode. Nous avons t-shirts, sweatshirts, socks, and coffee mugs. But it's also very aesthetically gripping. To keep you styling in support of the station you love. Isn't that right, Jonathan? Well, actually, is it? Because, I mean, you know, I was going to say because of the cultural vacuum that we exist within, but then, you know, uh, really, fashion today is kind of derived from the European idea of couture, and that's been around for centuries. Hidden City Records presents Data Plan, Summering, and Aura Kogan live in the Planetarium, October 22nd. An evening of incredible psychedelic art rock and psych folk featuring large-scale celestial projections choreographed by guest video artists Matt Crisco, Jared Brandel, Mohammed Ali Sharar, and Colin Elder. Located at HR McMillan Space Center. Tickets available at eventbrite.ca, Zulu, Redcat, and Dandelion Records. Doors at 8.
Welcome back. Welcome back, guys. While we wait for our next guest on the show, we have a special arts reporter volunteer we would like to introduce you to. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, I'm, I'm Jake. I'm interested in, well, just arts in general. I really, really enjoy it. So, so what made you kind of go, you know what, I kind of want to fit in with the arts report. Well, it's uh, it just covers a wide variety of fields. I'm interested in kind of a little bit of everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm in arts one here, so that's kind of it's one of those yeah. dabbling. It's one of those dabbling things. You know, you do. Mm-hmm. I used to do reach for the top, and that's kind of one of those things. You you know a little bit of everything. And I I, I listened to some episodes of the show, and it's like you guys seem very very enthusiastic about what you're doing, and I like Thank that. Thank you. That's one thing. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just suppose that I really enjoy the arts. I like this. I like the idea to do that, and I like the ability to sort of tell stories from that. I guess. So just for the listeners out there, are you new to CITR? Yes, I'm very mm-hmm. new to CITR. This would be the first time I've been in front of a mic here. Well, that's, that's what we want Thank to... Thank you very much for that opportunity, by the way. No, no problem. That's what we want to actually encourage for people. We want people to be involved in their local radio station and be a part of the voice of the generation and basically reviewing arts and culture and even critiquing it sometimes. Like, how can we become better through our expressions of creativity? That That's the reason why we created the show, and that's the reason why we love when people come join the show like you. Thank you. I very much appreciate that. And we do look forward to hearing content by you. I hear that you are going to be ha- Hamlet performance. Tell me about that. Yes, next. So tomorrow at uh, Cineplex, uh, the All Cineplex Theatres is a live broadcast of Hamlet from the UK. Benedict Cumberbatch is uh, Hamlet. And I personally... People like Benny Cumberbatch. I, I was going to say Benny... Exactly. See? Yeah. Then I said Cumberbatch. So I, I had to like say his full name. Because... Well, be careful with the pauses there. I know. I have to be careful with the pauses there. Oops. My bad. He's uh, uh, I, I really like him as an actor like Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's where it, that's what goes to it. But uh, I also... I think that uh, I'm, I'm interested in what you did on stage because uh, mm-hmm. back back in my hometown, I'm, I'm from London, London, Ontario, not England. Uh-huh. Everybody, you know, everybody says, you know, when I say I'm from London, they like, say, oh. oh, and then Ontario, oh. And they kind of go like, yeah, and they it's smile, a, but it kind of like loses like 10 watts or something. Yeah, a little bit, a little oh, bit. Sorry it's like about somebody that. pulled the plug on the smile. But uh, oh, there's a theater in London called The Rainbow, and they, yeah. uh, they stream a lot of alternative content. And one of them was a performance of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. where uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Benedict yes. Cumberbatch yes. were trading the, the main roles. And I love it's Johnny like, Lee Miller. Two, two Sherlocks. Wow. <laughs> that, that's amazing. Even, uh, they're both very good actors. Yes, though, I, I mean. agree. And. Um, I like that. I really like that idea. That, and they haven't actually done a lot of that other programming, which I, I thought, mm-hmm. and as soon as I had the chance to do this, I was like, yes, I, I want to see this. And I, I, have, I have high hopes for it. I actually have never read Hamlet, so I, mm-hmm. I picked up a copy from the bookstore, and I've started, started on that right That's now. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a young man's play, and actually the weirdest thing I've heard it compared to is uh, Weezer, is Pinkerton. Weezer Pinkerton, like the album yeah. Pinkerton. Yeah, it like because <laughs> Hamlet's the young man's play. Pinkerton's yeah, yeah. apparently the young man's album. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if all young men fell in, fall in love with lesbians and compare their relationships to sitcoms, but uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Rivers uh-huh. Cuomo may lack some relatability. Maybe. <laughs> well, we do look forward to um, hearing more about the show um, once you go see it tomorrow. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to providing it. And on that note, I also have a couple other um, events that I went to this past week that I want you guys all to know about. So let us know about it. So I went to Vancouver Fashion Week. Um, Did we turn it out? Last week. Did we turn it out? Did we look good? Well, to be quite honest, I realized that my lack of fashion sense. No, you have great sense, girl is made very apparent in those kinds of settings. But no, everybody was so kind, and I got to interview so many different amazing designers. Um, So please tune in again next week because I will be playing the um, set of interviews that I had with those uh, designers. And other um, event that I wanted to talk to you guys about is um, the Vancouver International Improv Festival, which actually ended this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. But I went to go see its opening performance, and I found it absolutely hilarious. The team that they've got on Granville Island is incredible. So if you guys ever have a chance to um, go check them out, please do. And it looks like we have our um, guest calling in. Why don't we pick up the phone? Hi there. Hello. Hello. 
Hi, is this Andrew Lawrenson? Yes, speaking. Wow, um, thank you very much for being on our show today. Um, for our listeners who don't know who this is, this is the artistic producer of the Performance Event Liberation Through Hearing. Hi, Andrew. Welcome, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you. Yeah, the show is actually called TBD. TBD. And TBD, yeah. And um, yeah, I'm the artistic producer of Radix Theatre in Vancouver that's producing the show. Great. So tell me about the show. I hear that um, it's quite a lengthy one that's very interactive. Um, yeah, the, it's, uh, and it's an event that spans 21 days with uh, a different thing happening every day. And a lot of it is very kind of uh, short things that you can access through your smartphone, uh, like messages or audio or video. Um, other times we mail you packages in the mail or leave things at your door. Um, sometimes we locate you in public through your phone. And we also um, ask you to come to certain locations for performances at certain times. It's a, a little bit of everything and a, a sort of a small commitment each day for 21 days. Yeah, it sounds like very a very immersive um, spectacle. Um, yeah. And, you know, just reading more about what you guys were producing, I, I saw that it was inspired by the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So tell me yes. about how that influenced your the creation of this performance and really... How did you come across this idea to um, take the performance off of the stage and really make it into something that um, that infiltrates people's lives in a lot more in a lot more intimate way? Sure. Um, well, Radix is a, a long history of creating site-specific theater. So that is the theater that happens in unusual locations outside of traditional theater settings. So we're pretty well versed in doing that kind of thing. Um, the inspiration for the Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, came through a conversation that we have um, every month or two uh, over dinner where we talk about what to do next. And so the conversation started with somebody who wanted, one of our associates who suggested we do a show about uh, making the audience feel like they were in somebody else's body and then somebody else said, oh, yeah, that reminds me of a, a reincarnation idea I had where a service would help you find what body you want to be reincarnated into. Hmm. And then somebody else said, oh, that sounds like the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And somebody else said, oh, yeah, the Tibetan Book, that's read for 49 days to a dead person after they've died. What if we tried to do a show for 49 days? Wow. And then somebody else said, oh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, TBD. That all sounds good, and everybody said "ooh" at the same time. So we knew that we had an idea there. That's a fantastic backstory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the banter. Um, so, was it very difficult? So, after you know talking about the initial idea and having a positive um, response, was it difficult putting together the performance? because of the length, but also the high variability. I'm, cons I'm guessing that you guys have kind of plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, <laughs> you know, considering that yeah. you're reaching out to individual audience members individually. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, you know, the logistics weren't quite as bad as we thought going in. I mean, you, if you can create an Excel spreadsheet, then you can kind of be organized for what ha has to happen mm. each day. And none of these things were things we hadn't done before. Uh, it's just that we, for example, would one day ask audience to go to a certain location and then the next day mail them something. We, we had never done that kind of thing before. But a lot of it is very simple. For example, we just send you a link to an audio podcast or a video podcast. I mean, that, that's very simple. And can be done by one person from the office. And okay. then on other days, things are a bit more complicated, but um, if you plan all those things in advance, then, um, you know, it's you can pull it together. No, it does sound um, actually a lot more simpler when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
<laughs> yeah, not to say that it is simple. Maybe, uh, yeah, I don't want to uh, overstate that it's just like super easy. It's probably the most complicated thing we've ever done, but it's it's definitely doable. No, for sure. And, you know, going back to a little bit of um, the initial drawing up of the idea, you talked about how people mm, get to go into different bodies or become different people. Um, is that part of what you hope the audience members will get out of this performance? Is it um, you want them to see what it's like to live um, in the shoes of another human being for you know, a period of time in their lives. Um, tell me more about what you hope audience members will get out of such a immersive um, experience. Sure. We're not actually trying to make you feel like you live in somebody else's body. Um, that was just sort of a, you know, original kind of thought. Mm. But mostly we are working with the themes of the Tibetan book, which is is sometimes it's referred to in some places as a guide to living in addition to being a guide to dying the themes um address issues that affect all of us um today and and even way back in the year 800 when it was written um and those themes are to don't be distracted live in the moment um don't uh live in fear don't be afraid of death. Uh, let go of attachments. Uh, be compassionate towards others. Those are all great themes, and so that's those are really the things that we're uh, exploring with this show. Hmm. Those are um, those are very great ideals. Um, yeah. Would you? Is kind of the way that you guys structure the different. Um, texts that these audience members get and the different um, instructions that they get, is it kind of geared towards um, one theme of the Tibetan book per, um, per, per reaching out to the audience member? Um, is it kind of like a, mm, almost like a lesson by lesson, mm, two week kind of experience? Is it, um, how much yeah. of it would you say is, yeah, quite, quite, teaching the audience members to reconnect with some of the some kind of some of the moral lessons that we were told since we we're very young but we just kind of forget in our busy lives yeah well i hesitate to say teach because uh you know i don't know i, I don't know we want to do that i guess we want to inspire people mm-hmm. um but the uh the way that we we structure the show and we tell people up, this up front, we, we use the structure of the Tibetan book, which can be loosely um, broken down to a three-part structure, much like a play with uh, three acts, where the first part is about dying, the second part, and, and in our case, the second week is about becoming, and then the third week is about rebirth. So... We came up with ideas inspired by each one of those um, um, themes or areas. So just to give you an example, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think I'll be giving away too much. This is part of the problem in talking about the show. I don't, I'm reluctant to give away too much because part of the allure is the potential surprise of what's going to happen from one day to the next. That's true. Um, However, like I could tell you, for example, um, we, we uh, have a, a moment in the show where we try to give people the sense that they are letting go of their mortal selves, and um, we ask them to go for a walk along the seawall in Stanley Park, and they're carrying a bag of salt, uh, one cup of salt, which is equivalent to the amount of salt that you carry in your body. Really? And we give them this uh, small bag, and they walk along the seawall, and they meet a performer by the ocean. And they have a little ceremony where they let go of the salt into the sea. That's quite symbolic. Yeah. So it's things like that. It's very intimate. It's one-on-one. Um 
it's kind of ritualistic in if you know not in a bad sense of that word mm-hmm. but there are small ceremonies and rituals that we go through with the audience um it's not it's not like traditional theater at all it's very participatory and um it really relies on the audience's imagination as well because uh, the main conceit is that we ask the audience to imagine that they have died and that now uh we are their guides through the afterlife so it's 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 very important that they um bring their imagination to the show and that they play along with us right right and i'm glad you brought up the i guess topic of traditional theater i'm wondering do you hope that um in what ways do you think that the Vancouver art scene will be impacted by such a never-before-done performance? <laughs> you know, this performance isn't... I, I Originally, when I heard of it, I didn't really consider it a performance. Um, yeah. But I think that stretching the boundaries of what a performance can be, um, I think Vancouver is a great place to do it. So um, I'm just wondering, you know, what are kind of your hopes... Um, for how this performance will impact the art scene here in Vancouver? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I I just hope people do what inspires them, and and if our show inspires them somehow, then then that's great. Um, Mm -hmm. Me personally, I feel like so much of the world, uh, or, or people in the world, have become... Um, glued to their smartphones, um, me included, and and so I just feel it's it's important to um, engage with people in in that way. That that's sort of the portal to the world for a lot of us now, and it just makes sense to me that we, as artists, um, try to approach people through those means. You know, people. Um, are statistically less and less getting out of the house into the into the world mm-hmm. um, for all kinds of trips, you know, for shopping, for banking, for hiking in the hiking in the woods. Statistically, all of those kinds of trips are down as people engage with the world more through their computer in whatever form that takes. So uh, I just feel well, we have to address that. We have to respond to that. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, and not everyone will agree with that. Maybe some people feel differently, and that's, that's totally fine. But for us, we're mandated to experiment with the definition of theater. Um, that's our job, to explore the boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what we're doing. Yeah, and I, I think it's um, a particularly interesting way that you guys are doing it because smartphones are kind of the one thing that many people are glued to, but through this performance, it'll be kind of a instigator to tell them to go out and explore new things. <laughs> exactly. That's totally true. It's, it may seem a bit of a contradiction mm-hmm. to you know, try to talk about distraction with a device that distracts you, but um, I do think that we're trying to just sort of raise awareness about it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention that if people don't have a smartphone or if they have an older kind of phone, we do have some uh, that we can provide for people that were uh, donated to us. So we can provide phones and um, data plans hmm. for That's people. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Um, well, then, on that note, why don't you remind our listeners about um, the details to this performance and if they want tickets to it, um, how they can find those? Sure. Um, so you can get tickets through our website, radixtheater.org, and that links to the uh, box office. The show starts on October 25th, and something happens every day until November 14th. Um, it's for people 16 years of age and older. Mm-hmm. You have to be comfortable with emotionally and mentally um, stable enough and comfortable enough to talk about issues of death and dying. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cost is $50. Okay. And if you are 
um, uh, underemployed or have low income, then you can purchase a $25 ticket. And I really feel this show appeals to all kinds of different backgrounds and cultures. And um, it shouldn't be mistaken that this is sort of a Buddhist exercise. We're not trying to promote Buddhism or tell you to become a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, honestly, it will appeal to um, all backgrounds, I think. And also, it's a lot of fun. I mean, sound kind of heavy, what I've been talking about so far. It's very actually intense. very... It is, it's, it is at times, but then also it's very funny at other times. And, and fun and a, kind of an adventure. Mm-hmm. So it has a, a bit of everything. And we had really good feedback on our test that we did last year. So hmm. we're, excited, we're excited to be doing it again this year. No, and thank you very much um, for telling us more about um, TBT, TBD. Um, and, uh, yeah, we wish you the best of luck with this uh, performance. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the air. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We will be having a short break, uh, listeners, um, a few short commercials, and we'll be back hopefully with another guest, but if not, with um, more great um, events, event reviews and um, shout-outs. As a station, we believe in playing content with artistic and cultural merit, and sometimes that category includes material which can be construed as offensive. For those who have children nearby or are sensitive to provocative material, the following broadcast may have strong language, themes, or be otherwise objectionable. Please consider tuning out and revisiting CITR after this program. When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 Hello, welcome back, Arts Reporter listeners. Um, we have a final guest on our show today, and that is Kyle Rideout. He is the founder of Motion 58 and director of the VIF film Edward. I hope I am pronouncing that right. Hi, Kyle. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, you said it right. Edward. Edward. Okay, it, it's, sa- it's spelled quite um, interestingly. Um, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Um, tell me hey, about this film. Me. Um, I hear the subject, the subject of this film is quite the um, eccentric person. Yeah, it's about the godfather of cinema, Edward Mybridge, who in the 1880s took photographs the very first photograph of motion, and he also took photographs of people nude to try to document their movement, took thousands of photographs, and then he also killed his wife's lover and is one of the last Americans to get justifiable homicide. Wow. He's got quite the rap. That's like a, that's a very good progression of his life. Oh, and this is Ashley, yeah. our co-host, by the way. Hi. Hi. So, so um, Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> tell me about what made you want to produce a cinema about him. He is, like you said, you know, considered the godfather of cinema, but um, was there anything else that kind of attracted you to making a film about Edward? Um, yeah, the Josh Epstein uh, was the co-writer and producer on it, and I directed, and we were both actors um, in this play called Studies in Motion by The Electric Company, which is a Vancouver-based theater company, and we were actors in this play about Edward Mybridge, and we kept saying backstage, this should be a film, and so that's when we kind of hatched the idea and talked about turning it into a film and so we optioned it from the electric company and 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 that was it (laughs) Hmm. and what was it like um trying to get inside the head of this complicated if i put it nicely individual was it um what was the experience like trying to 
um, portray him in the way that you see him? Well, we went to the University of Pennsylvania, and we wanted to learn as much about him as possible. And that's where he mm-hmm. took those uh, photographs of the naked uh, motion studies. And we got a look at his equipment, his letters, and, and um, we photographed it and brought it back to the team and, and designed it all. And, um, uh, yeah, so it was, it was really um, interesting to learn about him. And then he was also in the stagecoach accident, and he had frontal lobe damage. So Michael Eklund and I talked a lot about how that made him very obsessive and changed his personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I was quite surprised to see that, you know, there were quite um, big-name actors and actresses um, who, you know, have had a part in productions like Vampire Diaries and Bates Motel. Um, And I was wondering what your experience was like working with them and um, how you got into contact with them. They were fantastic Mm. actors. Um, They're all Vancouver-based, and I, I know a number of their agents in town. I'm an actor as well. And um, so we reached out to Michael first and brought him on board. And then we started to build the cast around uh, our lead character. Um, And then working with them on set was a dream. They're all very professional and excited to work on this period film, which I don't think you often get a chance in Vancouver to work on a film like this. You know, normally people try to make a horror film Mm -hmm. or a cabin movie or something. um, And we had tons of locations and period costs, over 600 period costumes. Um, yeah, they were, they were just a dream, and, and we continue to uh, talk with them and as we roll the film out across Canada and uh, around the world. Mm. And, and were you quite surprised at kind of um, the, amazing, the amazing response that you guys got? I mean, you guys were featured in VIF, and it looks like you still have showings of this film um, throughout the coming months. So, yeah, well, how does it feel? Yeah, it plays, at, it, it plays at Van City, mm-hmm. and uh, it plays across Canada in, in I think, 15 cities. Um, I, I was surprised, I mean, I'm, and I'm just enjoying it. And mm-hmm. we worked very hard, and, and we wanted that work to pay off as well at the mm-hmm. same time. So it's been playing festivals worldwide. I go to Belgium on Friday to open it in a festival there. Mm. Uh, and then I go, uh, to a couple of other places which haven't been announced yet, uh, later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we've just been both Josh and I and, and the team on this have been enjoying it and, and proud to just see it. You know, it's like seeing your kid learn to walk and that's exciting. Mm-hmm. No, that's incredible. And I guess moving a little bit towards um, Motion 58, um, was this kind of the first big production that you did through Motion 58? And kind of tell me about how um, Motion 58 started, what kind of works you guys are um, focusing on now that Edward has kind of lifted off the sure. lifted off the ground. Well, Motion 58 is a combination of Studies in Motion, which is uh, the play we were in, and Studio 58, which is the school, the acting school in in Vancouver that we went to. And so it's the two things, Motion 58 combined. Um, And Josh and I, this is our first big feature film. Uh, We made one short film out of the company before this, Mm. and that one played well and um, uh, won at Comic-Con and played lots of festivals and was distributed worldwide in, I think, around 50 countries. Um, and, and so now we made the big leap to do a feature, and now we're continuing to try to make another feature. I just mm-hmm. got back from New York um, trying to package the next film, which is looking very positive about moving forward next year. And we're also trying to work in the TV world, and we've got some other ideas up our sleeves that we're going to be uh, rolling out and working with some amazing people. But Edward was really opened the door to a lot of possibility. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you guys sound like you're very busy with um, new and exciting things and hearing about kind of the success that you guys have had um, with almost every single project you've done um, speaks to your guys' expertise. Um, 
Is it is it nerve wracking at all going through with new projects and new ventures with the success you guys have already had so early on? Are you um, how do you feel about? Um, I don't yeah, know. Do you feel doesn't... any pressure to like top what you've already done so far? <laughs> yeah, I mean we're always trying to make stuff as as big as possible and the best as possible at Motion Fifty Eight, mm-hmm. and I we don't feel any nerves we're constantly trying to push and and you know the thing is it feels like no one is ever going to hand you something mm-hmm. in this industry mm-hmm. you have to fight the whole way mm-hmm. and so that's where we're at with the next one where there are some um, big hands being reached out right now mm-hmm. but we're continuing to um, push as hard as possible from our ourselves and, and working every day on the projects to get them to the next level Mm. So, do you mind elab- elaborating a little bit on the difficulty you guys faced um, getting some of your projects off the ground? Was it quite? Um, would you say that the Canadian film industry is quite um, difficult to succeed in? Uh, yeah, I think the Canadian film industry is really hard, and I mm. think film worldwide is really hard right yeah. now. Uh, a lot of stuff is shifting to television. People aren't mm. going to cinemas, uh, even for the big blockbuster movies, which mm. have huge budgets and marketing budgets. So. I think there's lots of challenge in that. And to get a movie up off the ground, it's always about getting the money um, to make the project. And that's always a challenge. And then getting the money back and mm-hmm. um, to investors. So the whole thing. And I think that as Canadians, we need to work hard to make our movies um, as the best quality that we can make them, but also commercial so that people mm-hmm. are, we're getting people in to see them and getting audiences out there to see them. So it's filled with challenges. <laughs> no, and thank you so much for sharing your insight. And um, I do wish we had more time to talk, but um, I guess as a final question, do you mind sharing with our listeners how um, listeners can either see next showings for Edward or mm-hmm. um, follow up with um, Motion 58 to kind of um, see what other works um, may come out from, from you guys? Yeah, um, we've got Motion 58 is our Twitter. Um, we also have okay. on our our website. Um, that's where you can find the recent screenings. It's motion58.com. And then in Van City, we're going to be playing October 16th to the 20th. Oh, okay. There will be Sarah Canning will be at some of them. Mm-hmm. We'll have uh, Jordana Largi at some of them. Michael Eklund will be at some of the screenings to Fantastic. do talkbacks. Um, I'll be there at the end of them, at the end of the run, and Josh will be there at the beginning. So they'll be sprinkled throughout Josh and I and some of the cast at some of the screenings uh, here in Vancouver. And then it's uh, playing uh, across Canada over this month Mm -hmm. and next month. Wow. That's really exciting. And um, from everybody here at the Arts Report, we do um, wish you guys the best of luck with your future endeavors. Thank Mm. you so much. Yeah, no, thank you so much for calling in. And um, we do hope to, you know, hear from you again in the future. Yeah, when you're all famous. Okay, (laughs) great. Talk to you again. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Thank you for listening, Arts Reporter listeners. That is the end of our show Um, from all of us here. Please tune in again next week. Like I said, we Mm -hmm. are going to have that review of the Vancouver Fashion Week. Um, And while it will be late, a couple um, of the film reviews. if you guys have any questions or comments about today's show or the show in general, please do not hesitate to shoot us a message on Facebook. We are The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Next show is Sharing Science. This episode is all about mental health. So take a listen. Ashley, did you have anything? Oh, um, is this mental health part two? Yes, it is. Yay! <laughs> See you guys next week. Have a good one, guys. Good evening. You're listening to UBC Sharing Science Radio, broadcasting from CITR 101.9 FM on unceded Musqueam territory at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. I'm your host, Alan Manning, and with me today are Sam Livingston. Hey, guys. 
and Rohit Singla. Howdy. So this week is actually Mental Health Awareness Week, and that's what we're discussing on the show today, is all about mental health. It's estimated that one in five Canadians will experience some form of mental disorder during their lifetime. Being at a university, mental health is particularly important. It's a stressful environment, people are young, things are happening really fast. So today we're going to dive in about the science behind mental health, as well as some of the resources available to students. First of all, Sam's going to tell us about how anxiety and stress affect memory. Then Rohit's going to cover psychosis and tell us about some recent research on mental health issues in the downtown east side of Vancouver. And I'm going to talk about modeling mental diseases with a supercomputer. All right, I'm looking over at Sam. He seems pretty cool, not stressed out. So Sam, why don't you tell us about your story? At some point during each day, every person on earth experiences some sort of stress. For many different reasons, we'll encounter stressors throughout our day that our mind and body must find a way to cope with. Stress can come in many shapes and forms, from acute or chronic to mild or severe. Stress has a complex effect on the brain. Initially, when you encounter stress, the first of two systems in your body is activated. The fast-acting sympathetic nervous system involves the release of chemical signals from your adrenal medulla, an important gland in your kidneys, and is responsible for the fight-or-flight response that gets your heart pumping and makes you feel anxious. This immediate response is followed by a slower second response, which is the activation of the hippocampal pituitary adrenal axis. 